It is that time again, the lucky time of week uh, for you and yours, because the front row is here. Happy hump day, KJ. How come we're not in shorts and flip-flops? Isn't this an off week? Well, didn't we hit 91 or some record high earlier this it, week? It's been hot. That it's is supposed true. to be fall, but it hasn't uh, felt like it quite yet. Friday morning, I hear. Friday morning, we're going to be like at 51 or 52. When did this become a weather show? Well, when it's a bye week, you know, this is remember the summer and how we killed time over the summer. It's now a bye week. Yeah, so let's we, don't let's don't go back and revisit those topics. Let's discuss the weather. <laughs> uh, Florida State is on a bye week. Of course, the Clemson game comes up eight o'clock and doom and gloom is what uh, many Knowles are bracing for. Many folks uh, uninspired or unenthused about the uh, lackluster win over Wake Forest. That one didn't uh, sit as poorly with me as what I've heard some say, I guess. Not that you can dismiss anything, but in my mind, I sort of thought Miami hangover, bye week after a long seven-game stretch, Clemson looming, and Jimbo, as we talked about on Sunday, though he would never admit it, playing things a little close to the vest offensively. I mean, you just take the win and get out of there. So I haven't lost sleep over that. How about one more thought? We've seen this Florida State offense score four touchdowns in a quarter. We've seen the comeback against Ole Miss. We've seen what they've done at South Florida. We know this offense can perform. So we're just disappointed that they didn't perform. We didn't know what the defense could do anything. They do it against Miami. Then we will, then we go, can they do it again? And, yes, a lesser opponent, but they do it against Wake Forest. So now we're all happy with the defense, and we're all pissed off at Jimbo. <laughs> Welcome to human nature. Yeah, well, that is true. And, of course, we discount the defense because we say, well, it was Miami and Wake Forest and their offenses aren't very good. And in the case of the latter, that's certainly true. Wake Forest is abysmal on offense. Uh, but the to your point, I think that's where the frustration on the offense comes from. I mean, against Ole Miss, they scored, what, seven drives in a row against USF? I think they scored eight drives in a row, something like that. Whatever the numbers were. And then were. you go through these other other periods and, and nobody has the answer about the slow starts. I, I will say, though, that I know we talked about this after, uh, well, the North Carolina game in particular, but some of the Louisville game too, when everybody was fixated on the defense, part of the reason for those holes was the offense. Uh, you know, the offense wasn't keeping pace, and, and even though it made a nice comeback in the second half, ultimately those mispossessions early on came back to bite you, which is probably why there's consternation about what's going on there. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on what side of the equation you fall on, that is college football now. If you're going up against a reasonably good offense, you're going to have to outscore them. I mean, this this age-old thing where you've got a defense that can shut down everybody is just not going to happen. I mean, we've seen Alabama's defense give up 30-plus points on a couple of occasions. Uh, it's a different, different world we live in. It is. It is. But that magnifies the need to get out to better starts. Very which, much so. Which is why folks are talking about it. Very this. much so. We're going to have uh, our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, join us uh, in just a little while. I don't know that he'll have an answer to that question, but we'll probably ask him anyway. We've asked it before. And uh, uh, a guy who's uh, been associated with college football and college athletics in general for a long, long time. Uh, very opinionated if you follow him on social media. And uh, I look forward to this conversation. Tim Brando. Uh, longtime sportscaster and well-known sports figure. Uh, college football, obviously, you think of the studio shows, and he's a play-by-play announcer, but connected with the ACC, and you know him as well. So. I've, I've gotten the opportunity to, to visit with him, uh, mainly through uh, my association with Gene Deckerhoff, because Gene and Timmy are very good friends. Uh, Gene tells the wonderful story about the first time that Brando signed a national contract. I believe it was with CBS. Uh, this goes back 20, 25 years and wherever they were, uh, as soon as the agent called and Brando knew the deal was done, 
Uh, he did what every Southern gentleman would do. He resides in Louisiana. Uh, he started buying drinks for the house, <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and it evidently was uh, you know a very nice contract with national contract with CBS, and, and Brando was off and running. There you go. So again, and uh, we'll talk to him about. Well, the big news in, on the college landscape this week is that the Big Twelve decided not to expand, and he's well. Got that's the national news. That, that's what I mean. The, the southeastern news is who won, LSU or Florida, and they ain't even played. Right, right. And he's been very opinionated on that. He came out and uh, sort of decreed that there would be an ACC network months before he that did. official announcement came. Uh, he maintains that Notre Dame at some point is going to be all in in the ACC. Uh, he's an advocate of a commissioner for college football. I mean, there's a lot of topics. We could have him on for the full hour, but he'll join us uh, later on. And Keith and I will we'll just leave at that point and just cede the mic to him when he joins he us. He knows how to talk. That is correct. Basketball practice and season and optimism is underway. Now, you're going to spend a lot of uh, time over the next several months with the basketball team. And I think there's pretty good reason to be optimistic and excited about that, uh, namely because of Jonathan Isaac, but also Dwayne Bacon returns you're checking your phone. What are you? What are you I'm checking? I'm checking your- my phone because I don't have it committed to memory. But there is an upcoming exhibition game on Thursday, the twenty seventh, at seven o'clock in the Tucker Center, and Florida State will take on Southeastern University in the first of their two exhibition contests. All right. Well, we'll have to track down Leonard or Stan or, or Dwayne or somebody and get them on to talk a little bit of hoops. The other but- thing about the hoops that, that's coming out, and I've not been to practice yet. I will try to do that is the no-name recruits are probably going to be pretty big-name when everything's said and done. A couple of J.C. transfers, the freshmen. You mean uh, the lesser-talked-about recruits? Well, we're going to call them no-name for okay. now because Isaacs has over, overshadowed everything. You'll get to know them uh, because they're pretty special in their own right by all reports. Yeah, it should be, uh, should be a fun fun hoop season. That gets started here pretty quickly. But that, that leaves us... Uh, you know, delaying the inevitable, which is we have to go back and explain why the offense can't score points in the first half. So now that I've posed the problem, go ahead and solve it for us. Uh, two plus two equals four. I mean, I, I don't have an answer for it, Tommy. It's it it's baffling to me. We've seen it happen with the defense. We've seen it happen with the offense. Arguably, we've seen it happen with the team. The only explanation I have is the silly one that I gave you, I think, last week. About practice. About practice. I mean, practices, we've been there. We've been fortunate enough, uh, even though we're part of the media, we're also part of the family. And occasionally, Jimbo will let us hang out and, and watch what goes on. And, and, and practices are unbelievably intense. And, and part of the rationale is that we make practices so hard, so therefore the games are easy. And I just think there's a mental something that doesn't shift and the kids show up on Saturday and this is supposed to be the easy part. That's as silly and dumb and simplistic an explanation as I've been able to come up with. But it's an explanation and nobody else can put their finger on it either. You know, Jimbo, if you, he, he talks and he coaches uh, situational football really well. He talks a lot about last drive of the, sec- of the first half, first drive of the third quarter, four-minute offense. But if you, if you recall, he really – when he got here, he talked about a fourth time, which is the start of the game. So there really were four key times in the game that he would harp on. Right. First drive, end of the second quarter, start of the third, four-minute offense to finish it off. But we haven't heard so much talk about that that one at the beginning, uh, and it has caused Florida State some problems. And I, I don't know what the answer is other than what I've suggested previously, and we did see him do it at Miami, but 
you know, if you're in that gray area, you go for it on fourth down. Maybe you mix in a fake punt. Maybe there's a trick. Maybe you do something completely different because what's working right now or what you're trying right now is not working. You're bogging down as you get close to the red zone. And I forgot who told me this, but uh, another suggestion was let's go up-tempo on the first drive. Well, that Jeff Cameron has talked a lot about up-tempo, and in some regards maybe Jimbo hasn't done that because he's protected the defense a little. There's a lot of reasons why he hasn't done you that. You and That's I sure. have not talked about this a lot, though. I mean, people want to see Jimbo go up-tempo to help the offense. I think you can make a really good argument that going up-tempo would help the defense because they would see up-tempo in practice on a regular basis. There's no I question. Mean, because, because the scout team... You can't replicate. The scout team can't replicate it when you play a tempo team. No. And if your offense did it, you would be in better position to see that. That's one of the or reasons. Defend it. It's one of the reasons why Georgia Tech's defense is very, very good against the run, and they suck against the pass because <laughs> that's what they're going up against every day in practice. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Jimbo has uh, he showed unwillingness, um, maybe begrudgingly, to run his quarterback a little bit more. But maybe we'll see some more of that. And maybe if the defense solidifies a little bit more, you'll see more tempo. He's done tempo at times. They can do it. It's not a question of not being able to. And it's not a big thing because they don't huddle anyway. I mean, they're, they're, they're at the line of scrimmage. You just do it faster. To me, what it, you do it faster and it, uh, it sort of removes overthinking situations. You just get up and go. And then the natural athleticism takes over, which, you know, Florida State, nine times out of ten, is going to have better athletes than who they're playing. But I will tell you, maybe as, a ten times out of guy, 10. as a defensive guy, pardon me i don't want you going up tempo and giving that ball to that other opponent 14 and 16 times a ball game because if they score on 33 percent of their possessions that means every third possession you give them that's seven more points yeah well this you know this came into play at clemson a couple years ago when uh when kevin Steele gave up 70 and kevin was not a guy that embraced uh what what clemson was trying to do up tempo and they went and got brett venables who's, who's been a, a home run there but he came from oklahoma in the big 12 that was used to doing already it. doing it so he he subscribed to that. he was okay with that defensively i don't know once again keith we don't have answers we just we just we're very good at we identifying can, questions we can identify the questions and the issues with the best of them no question speaking of the best of them madison social uh, and and centrally now open we still have not uh, called Matt Thompson to go get our lunch fix at Centrale, but we will we will do that. And uh, I'll remind you that uh, it's always a great place down there uh, on on Madison to uh, whether it's Madso Centrale Township will be opening soon tonight six to nine. There they've got uh, FSU soccer pint glasses. You know Matt has a pint glass for every occasion, but uh, the pint glasses today pay tribute to the soccer team and specifically the Renegades. Now you don't know who the Renegades are, do you? The little horses. A good guess, a good guess, but not accurate. Uh, think Cameron Crazies, okay, but for soccer. All right, FSU all right. soccer has a group of fans there, and they travel on the road to the ACC tournament and whatnot. So if you what? get your pint glass tonight, the proceeds will benefit. I guess their travel expenses or what have you. It benefits the FSU Renegades, and and, and uh, they're rem- not little horses. Remind me the the baseball guys' names. Who are they? The animals. The animals. Thank you. Did you really ask that? I forgot it. I'm sorry. Man, Keith Jones gets older every week, folks. We will come back and talk to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, right after this. Welcome back 
to the front row of Florida State on a bye week uh, this week. But uh, we are not. We're going to go right to the phone lines, the uh, Earl Bacon hotline, ensuring your future together. And say hello to a, a recognizable voice uh, and face, for that matter. If you've watched any college football or college basketball over the last two or three decades, you certainly know who Tim Brando is. And uh, we're pleased to be able to bring him to the front row tonight. Tim, thanks so much uh, for a few minutes of your time. How are you? Great, Tom, Keith. It's good to be with both of you. Well, we really do appreciate it. Obviously, uh, you're, a, I guess, focused on play-by-play now with Fox, but you've been a studio host. Uh, you've called an awful lot of basketball and had a long association with the ACC. And uh, so I know that uh, our, our listeners will appreciate your insight. And uh, I, I've noticed I recently began following you on, on in social media probably the last few months, and I appreciate the fact that you're very outspoken and opinionated on lots of different topics so uh i guess we'll start uh, on the acc side and then we'll expand i know the big 12 is the is the big topic this week but uh you had said months before the commissioner of the league said that there would be an acc network that there would be an acc network so uh obviously that's come to fruition now and you've also gone on record i think uh saying that you think that notre dame will be all in someday are you are you still of that opinion about notre dame yes oh yes and, and and the worse their season goes now, or likely I think it, it is to become sooner than later, um, honestly. Um, they uh, That job is not what it once was. And uh, I've had the conversation, and I know Brian Kelly's not necessarily the most popular of, um, of head coaches these days, um, but the truth of the matter is, that that staff, it's hard to keep a staff together, and it's hard to prepare when you're going against the schedule that's as um, fragmented as the Notre Dame schedule is. Um, they'll play triple option teams, and then go to spread teams, um, and then and, and then with the tradition uh, of of keeping some of their games like the ones with USC uh, that they have out west it can make for a real difficulty from a travel standpoint uh, and from a, a level of consistency. You know, coaches that coach in the ACC or the SEC or the Big 12 or the Big 10, they, they get accustomed to year in and year out what the drill is. And, and for Notre Dame, it's much more fragmented. Uh, and plus, the modern-day Internet athlete wants to play for championships, multiple championships, not just one. Notre Dame only gets to play for one. And, and while the NBC deal has certainly given them an advantage, they're making a, a lot of um, uh, changes and, and much-needed innovations to their stadium and adding on to it. Uh, if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. And I, certainly I was there for basketball season last year, and it was in full bloom what was going on there. So they've made a lot of money. They've pocketed a lot of money with their NBC deal. But when you measure what that deal was worth when they first entered into it, plus uh, and then compare that to what conference affiliation deals now are like, whether it's the new Big Ten contract with Fox or the uh, ESPN, ACC, and SEC deals. Uh, it's not as it's not as big of a deal or a, a great advantage financially as it as it once was. In fact, uh, it just makes more sense for Notre Dame to be in a league. Uh, and I, I don't think it's lost on anyone there. I know a lot of blue bloods and uh, generationally uh, people that fall into my category uh, that are baby boomers just can't stand the thought of them being anything but independent. But uh, it's not a it's not a scoop to anyone that our generation is no longer as much of a factor as it once was. So they're trying to appeal to millennials and and Gen X's and Gen Y's and 
and being in a conference uh, really helps. And when they won the, SC, the ACC title in basketball two years ago, uh, it meant a lot to them to hang that banner inside the Joyce and Athletic Convocation Center. So uh, I don't think that's lost on the people that are in governance uh, there now. I think Swarbrick uh, is, is doing his best. Jack Swarbrick is doing his best to maintain a level of independence for football. But I think that uh, especially now when we see the program going uh, perhaps in the wrong direction on the field, it's going to make the uh, decision to make the change even easier for them. And once the ACC linear network is up and going, which is three years away, I think by that time Notre Dame's leanings will change and that ultimately they will join the, the conference. And, and listen, um, from my standpoint, uh, when that happens, uh, you know, my association with the ACC through Raycom will come to an end uh, because I'm, I'm fortunate that Fox allows me to continue to be a part of the ACC network in its current form uh, in syndication. So it's not in my best interest for there to be an ACC network. <laughs> but, but, but I think, you know, that there's going to be, I felt there was going to be, and I think ultimately it's going to help uh, the conference a lot. That's one of the reasons why the Big 12, uh, you know, did that about face in the summer and, 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 and said they were going to expand. I think that was a reaction to some extent of what the ACC had accomplished. And, of course, now we know the Big 12 couldn't get out of its own way. <laughs> Before we go to that uh, topic, Timmy, uh, your, your thoughts on the recent vote to stay uh, uh, eight uh, league games versus nine league games uh, in, in football. What's your, what's your take on that? Until such time as there is data to suggest that it's in your best interest to go to nine, I, I understand it. Um, I think that's what the SEC has determined it wanted to do. And, and the ACC is probably uh, wise to do the same thing, um, especially now with the conference looking so good. You know, it's a little bit like um, the SEC is the only conference that doesn't have a grant of rights. Um, the ACC's very foundation and strength is, is based largely on its grant of rights. But the SEC didn't need to have it because – they, they knew that they were the gold standard and that no one's going to lead. So that's, that's the conference that, um, that, that is uh, the envy of, of every other league. So they didn't have to do it. And, and being steadfast and staying with eight games was also a sign of strength. So I think the ACC, especially now, they, they're, they're having a banner season in football. This may be the best ACC season uh, for college football that I can, that I can remember in – in many, many years, um, and, and the, the quarterback play in the league is better than any other league in America, uh, I would suggest that it's challenging this season, the SEC, as being perhaps more deep, uh, have, having greater depth than, uh, than the Southeastern Conference has. Um, it's, it's maybe minus the dominant team that, that Alabama is. We'll soon find out. We'll see, we'll see if Clemson can, can – you know, hit the on switch and start playing at the level that I think we all thought that they could. Florida State will uh, say a lot about that in their future, so we'll find out. But up and down the conference, it's uh, it's as good as it's ever been. So when you're in a position of strength and there's potential for you to get two teams in, and I think there is potential right now for the ACC to get two teams in, if Louisville can continue to play well, uh, take care of Houston, 
and uh, and Clemson not lose, then why would you go to a ninth game? Uh, wait for more data to come in before you make that kind of a change. We're talking with Tim Brando. You mentioned the term grant of rights, and one of the news items that came out of the Big 12's decision this week, or which was not to expand, is that they did not extend their grant of rights. So is is this basically a dead league walking at this point, Tim? Well, they, they, they certainly uh, have to understand that that's going to be speculated by a lot of people. Whether they like it or not, that's going to be speculation. Um, and they put themselves in this position. Uh, and then I thought, and when I said they handled it inappropriately, understand, I think the world of Bob Bowlesby, John Underwood, a lot of the people that are in that Big 12 office, I think the world of. Uh, and I think their intentions were good. But as is the case with all commissioners, they're working with institutions of higher learning that have to be on the same, you know, it's a cliche, but it's true. you got to be on the same page. And, and these presidents and athletic directors, but mostly presidents, are vacillating from year to year, from month to month, about what it is they want. Um, Texas has long since been uh, the controlling interest of that league. And while I think in the past it was the biggest problem for a lot of other members, it's one of the reasons why Nebraska vacated uh, for the Big Ten and one of the reasons why uh, Missouri wound up in the SEC. I I think the thing that you've got to take into consideration with with, – this set of circumstances is that the, the, the league itself really did uh, want to and, and very publicly went about the business of trolling other conferences, most, most notably the American Athletic Conference. You know, 10 of their teams were, were interviewed during the course of the season. Um, when we were watching a game between um, Louisville and Cincinnati, much of the hype surrounding the game was about, is this a playoff to see which team gets in the Big 12? That's inappropriate. That shouldn't be going on during the season. But this is what the Big 12 did to themselves. And, the, you know, the media is going to lock into what it's going to lock into. And the game was sold as such. Uh, that's, that's not in the best interest of the college game. Uh, now, our business, the television business, uh, notably, is going through some difficult times. Uh, Cable cord cutting among millennials. Um, ESPN's subscriber base, it's a matter of record, is down about 10 million. Uh, Fox Sports 1, who's a growing brand-new network, just had its best week ever. Um, I'm proud to say that, but they've suffered some losses in cable, too. Uh, Perhaps not as many subscriber losses, but they didn't have as many to to lose as, as ESPN did. But it was in the best interest from a television standpoint. Uh, and these are the reports that are out there. The sports business journal people do most of this. They put it out there and I'm an avid reader of it. I keep up with it. Um, within the contracts that, that both ESPN and Fox have, um, they were going to be obligated to pay a lot more money, a lot more money if they expanded. Now what they decided uh, was, was to be preemptive. You know, the suits in my business were preemptive, and they went to the Big 12 and basically both the, the ones at ESPN and Fox uh, and said, listen, we will guarantee you X number of dollars per team if you don't expand. And so that, it was going to be a cash grab for the conference by expanding. 
So what television executives in this situation did was they, 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 they gave them the cash grab, but it was a limited amount of cash that was preemptive that would ultimately save the television networks a lot more money if they didn't expand uh, any further. So it kind of tells you, I think, that uh, that's the situation the Big 12 was in. They wanted to take the money now as opposed to um, you know, concerning themselves with what they wanted to do long-term to get uh, far greater financial impact. So uh, the industry we're in, uh, still it was the um, – the decision of the conference to not expand, I think it's driven more by presidents within that conference that don't know what they want from week to week, uh, more so than Texas this time around. I think it was Oklahoma's David Boren, their president, uh, that was the, the problem. Uh, I think he wanted uh, to have expansion. They went out and got a television guy that helped put uh, ESPN Classic on the air and then also took CSTV, College Sports Television, sold it to CBS for $300 million, the network that used to air my, my radio show when it was televised. Uh, Bavakwa uh, is his name. Uh, he was their consultant on this. I think they thought that they would find a, a way to, to really have a big payday. And once they found out that uh, maybe it wasn't going to work to the extent that they did, and, and Houston's success, I think, had something to do with this, um, the state of Texas was willing to bring Houston in, but Oklahoma looked at it, both Oklahoma schools, and says, well, that, that, that may hurt us in recruiting. So now all of a sudden it becomes provincial, and they change their minds. Well, this is not good. This is not good uh, in terms of, of building a foundation for a strong conference. And, and really that's what, in my opinion, that's what's happening here. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the SEC real quick. Uh, in, in light of the LSU-Florida rescheduling, uh, I know you had opinions on that, too. Now that, <laughs> now that we know, uh, you know, Florida's going to LSU this year, LSU's going to go to Florida the next two years, uh, who was the winner? Who came out looking good in that whole situation? Anybody? There were no, there were no winners, just losers. Uh, you know, that, what I, what, my discussion about being on the same page, uh, you know, the Big 12, I think, aired its dirty laundry from a public standpoint in the manner in which they inappropriately handled expansion. Um, the SEC, as high and mighty as it is, and has been the top conference in college football, really in the, in the modern era, this was uh, a very bad look for everybody involved. Uh, and I have great respect for all the men involved. I, I'll say it again. Um, uh, Fellas, I mean, the truth is good people can make mistakes. Uh, whether they're well-intentioned or not, they can make mistakes. And uh, at every level uh, of leadership, when it came to this particular situation, uh, everyone failed uh, because they only had their constituencies in mind. Uh, Jeremy Foley's one of the greatest athletic directors of his generation. Um, but this didn't look particularly good for him on his way out the door, in my opinion. Uh, Joe Oliva looked even worse, the LSU athletic director, who wouldn't answer questions when he fired the coach that had the greatest winning percentage in his school's history um, after he anointed him at the end of last year after twisting in the wind when he was courting your coach at Florida State and ultimately didn't get him. And then suddenly uh, the same athletic director that wouldn't answer any questions on the Miles uh, exit takes the podium 
at uh, Ed Orgeron's presser the following week to pander to his uh, fan base by saying, we will, by God, not play uh, anywhere other than Tiger Stadium on November the 19th. Uh, That was not necessary and was really inappropriate at a time when he and Oliva and um, the commissioner, Greg Sankey, should have been working behind the scenes to come up with um, a compromise that, that looks good for all parties. Uh, and as for the commissioner, you know, Greg Sankey, I've known since he was in the Southland Conference, and he is trying to fill some size 22s that belong to uh, Mike's lives. But, you know, he didn't look particularly strong when he went on CBS and Gary Danielson asked him the question outright, do you have the authority to, to get this taken care of? And he, he didn't answer the question. That's not a good look at all. And it's one of the reasons why I believe that as, as we move forward, in college football and basketball, and with all that's at stake with the college football playoff, um, all these commissioners, uh, and I think Jim Delaney and John Swafford right now are the two strongest ones we have, but all these commissioners are acting uh, basically uh, to, to, to take care of, as they should, their own constituencies. But the game is too big, and there's far too much money at stake, and these guys are in business together. And at some point, we need someone looking out for the totality of the game. We need, we need someone mitigating issues both on the field and off the field, objectively and clearly. And that's why I believe we need a commissioner for college football, uh, or a so-called czar, if you will. Um, what we've seen happen with the Big 12, what happened with the Florida LSU fiasco is, is further proof of that, in my opinion. Tim, you mentioned the uh, courtship, uh, LSU and Jimbo. Uh, are we to assume that courtship is over, or uh, might it resurrect itself? That's a question for Jimmy Sexton. <laughs> <laughs> well, and if we if we we're only an hour show, so I don't think we can have Jimmy on. Well, all, all, all coaching questions are questions for Jimmy Sexton. We are aware, yeah, of that. aren't they? Yeah, aren't they? Uh, I would I would assume uh, that the interest level from, from LSU would still be there, uh, particularly if he you know, gets the win against Clemson and gets the thing going again. But his star isn't shining as brightly now you know, in, the, in the carousel of available coaches for athletic directors as it did a year ago at this time. Um, I'm not saying there's a fall from grace. Jimbo is well-respected. I mean, he's one of the top five coaches in America. And he does have strong ties to LSU. A lot of the Blue Bloods or Tiger Athletic Foundation people that I know, major donors, have really good relationships with Jimbo. So the idea that they would maybe make another run at him, uh, I could see that. But at the same time, I think Jimmy Sexton knows, uh, because he's an agent. I mean, he's, 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 he was there front and center, thought that, they, that he had a deal. And then uh, the president of LSU just absolutely baffles the, it baffles the mind to think that someone uh, would be worried about what the legislative body in the state of Louisiana thinks. My God, we're the most corrupt state historically <laughs> in politics ever. But he suddenly cared about image and said, you know, we're having these cutbacks in higher education. This is just not a good look to pay this amount of money. Uh, to uh, uh, to get rid of Les Miles and then to bring in Jimbo Fisher. This coming from a president that knows 
that his athletic department has been cutting a $10 million check for his academic side for the last decade. I mean, what sense did that make? Um, just foolish on every, on every level. Uh, but that's what happened last year. Otherwise, I believe Jimbo would have been coming to LSU. Uh, I really believe that. Uh, but that it didn't happen, uh, and I think Coach Fisher's relationships, best I can tell at Florida State, are very good. And the leadership at LSU is not very good. I don't see Jimbo coming to LSU at all, uh, especially after what happened last year. I don't. So, but, but would they make a run at him? And I think that's your question. Yeah, I think they probably would. Interesting. Very interesting. Tim, we could talk to you for a while, but uh, we'll do you the favor of not asking you more questions at this point. But that is uh, that that is it's great perspective. We'll let you uh, go go back on your way. We'd love to have you on again sometime, though. But uh, thanks for what you thanks for what you've done over the years to promote uh, college athletics, college basketball, college football, sports we all love and enjoy. Yeah, well, you know, I'd I'd love to have more positive to say, but unfortunately, we just haven't had a lot of positivity. I guess the best news is we've got uh, the college football playoff out in front of us and. Uh, the next month and a half is going to be a lot of fun. I just wish the people that govern the game would make sure we could keep some of this stuff that's uh, not related to the game, like expansion and, and that kind of thing. And, and, and when you have people in power that are supposed to know what they're doing and communicate with one another, uh, actually be proactive and have contingency plans in place so we don't have to drag on these kinds of uh, conversation pieces during the course of the season. It would really help, wouldn't it? It, it would. It, w- it would. No it most question. definitely would. Thanks again, Tim Brando, uh, play-by-play announcer with Fox and a uh, longtime uh, voice face associated with college athletics. Uh, we appreciate his insight as he joined us uh, via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. We'll react to uh, what he said. We'll try to. I don't think we can top or really add much to what he said, but we'll try it anyway when we come back on the front row. Thanks. We don't need no education. Welcome back. Fascinating conversation with Tim Brando. I told you, uh, if you're if you're on social media, uh, well worth the follow because he's he's quite opinionated and uh, and it's it's lots of people on social media are opinionated. Well, he's the, informed. Uh, that and was opinionated. exactly where I was going. He yeah. he knows people and yeah. he has conversations with people. He doesn't just sit back on and express his opinion. He does his research. He does his homework. He's known by everybody. I mean, I cannot overemphasize how well-respected he is, um, particularly in the ACC because of his association with Raycom. But candidly, nationally, he is a recognized name and a recognized voice. Well, during the break, we just posed the question, you know, how how long did he host the halftime, the studio show with Spencer Tillman on CBS College Football? I mean, forever and ever, it seemed like, as I was growing up. Recapping that conversation again, we could have had him on for a week, honestly, uh, so we didn't have time to drill down to all this, but... Uh, in a nutshell, let's see if I missed anything. College football needs a commissioner. Correct. All three parties, LSU, Florida, and SEC. Bad, look bad. Bad look, paraphrasing, basically came out looking like buffoons on that situation. He didn't use that word. Second that was, only to the buffoons and the Big Ten. And again, a Big 12, he didn't Big use 12, that. Big 12, rather. Um, and he didn't, I think he's leaning towards the idea that the Big 12 is probably a dead league walking, though he didn't completely 100% agree with that, but clearly uh, did not have a lot of things to say there. Uh doesn't think Jimbo would go to LSU even if LSU comes back. And then the biggest news there, and a lot of people 
think there is no way this will ever happen. He, I mean, you heard what he said. He's, he firmly believes that Notre Dame will be all in the ACC here in a few years. He didn't even, he suggested that it's not going to go to the mid-20s when the TV contract runs out. He suggested it could happen sooner once the ACC network launches in 2019. And I think I agree with him from the standpoint that if Notre Dame is putting together eight and four seasons or seven and five seasons and, and doesn't have anything to play for, in terms of elevating themselves because they're not in a championship game that could could change their posture. And they're going to the to the mid-level bowls, and they're not seeing any of the New Year's six. They're not playing for a championship. Uh, regardless of the money, I think, and he's right, I think that's the, the, the mechanism that gets them in quicker as opposed to, to later. Well, in light of this conversation, and uh, FSU fans won't see it this way because they have uh, a lot of FSU fans have never been happy with the ACC and probably never will be because it's not the SEC. And in light of what he just said about Greg Sankey and about the Big 12, I mean, he said Delaney and Swafford are the, are the top two commissioners out there. If, if five years from now Notre Dame is in the ACC and you look at the last 10-year history when the Big East still existed and the ACC led by Swafford was proactive, expanded, basically eliminated the Big East, uh, got a network done in an era where people are cord cutting and nobody believed that there was going to be a network. If he gets Notre Dame in the A's, and he's managed to, the biggest thing he's done is that there are not leaks that come out of ACC schools. Nobody knew Notre Dame was coming halfway in. Nobody knew about Syracuse and Pitt. Uh, Louisville was maybe a little more out there because you knew the league was looking because Maryland had left. But in general, it's been airtight. You don't get news. The the, the stories, the, the stuff that's coming out of the Big 12 where everybody goes on record and has an opinion, you haven't had that in the ACC. The point I'm making is that Swafford's legacy five years from now, if Notre Dame is in, 25 years from now looking back, is going to be pretty strong. One of the other things that John is so good at and the conference is so good at is is managing. I was going to use the term manipulating. That's, that's too strong of a word, but managing the money – because you talk about Maryland leaving and the way they structured that, the ACC got $32 million when Maryland left. Right. Cash. They didn't have to go to court and sue them, although there was a lawsuit. But when everything was said and done, that was $32 million to the conference, and they ended up with Louisville technically replacing yeah. them, if you want to think of it that way. That's a pretty good uh yeah, just, just interesting. I mean, we can revisit that, but uh, we, we appreciate his insight. All right, we'll get back to FSU football. Tim Linefeld, our Seminoles.com insider, will join us next segment. Stay with us here on the front row. Two for two with the new walk-up music of uh, Tim Linnefelt. and uh, We ain't changing it. We're going to win this week for sure. So that'll be three straight uh, non-losses for Florida State. Uh, as our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Tim, how are you? I'm doing good. Who knew that, that Pearl Jam would have such a profound impact on the Florida State football season? Well, I, apparently you did because you were wise enough to make that call. So good job by you. Uh, I appreciate it. Our fans are probably aware that it's a bye week, which means that Florida State took Monday off, working on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, maybe a little bit on Friday. And I'm curious, 
Is that the same for the Seminoles.com staff? Were you guys out of the office on Monday, maybe a half day on Friday, just kind of kicked back this week for the bye week? Is that how it goes? I wouldn't go that far. I was in the office Monday uh, and got a few things going on. But I am planning with with everything. If everything goes according to plan, I will be out on Friday. So uh, so you're, you're you're catching me at a good time. Well-deserved break for sure. Uh, so we get ready for Clemson. I don't know if we uh, can start the Clemson hype just yet because well, any loose ends from wake well that's what i was going to say we have to bemoan the fact that the we'll offense get to it. gets off the slow starts thank you i don't know I'll, I'll go with what keith said any loose ends you'd like to tie up from wake there's more open-ended for you okay with that keith thank you uh the the, the biggest thing i think i don't know if you guys saw last night i've already discussed but that jimbo fisher did say that bobo wilson is sore uh, and he's not practicing but he didn't really sound too concerned about whatever his injury might be, if it's the foot issue, something like that. It looks on the sideline like it might have been an Achilles or something like that. When you saw him come out there with the crutches, I think we all sort of feared the worst. But it sounds like he might have avoided a major injury uh, in that Wake Forest game. So he said sore and not practicing, but uh, if, if there's anything significant, it hasn't been determined yet, which is obviously good news. Well, I don't want to make this sound like a potential addition by subtraction because Bobo has been consistent and has made a lot of big catches. But if he's not out there and you have to play Auden Tate, Auden Tate automatically is going to draw double coverage if he's out there more. So I guess what I'm suggesting is wouldn't that be an option that opens up more of the passing game potentially? And I suppose he could be out there and take snaps from Kermit instead of Bobo if Bobo is back. I, I guess so, and I saw some of that, and some folks on Twitter were sort of saying the same thing that they were they were hoping that that maybe an avenue would be opened for Auden Tater for somebody else. And you know, I understand that line of thinking. I'm not sure that I necessarily agree with it. Uh, we, we've seen Auden get some opportunities and make the most of them, but I, I don't I don't know. We all like to play armchair quarterback or coach or what have you, but I, I got to think if if the coaches thought that somebody else was a better option than Bobo at this point. Uh, they would be out there right now. I do think there's something to that. And it'd be one thing if he wasn't playing well, but coming into the game on Saturday, he was their leading receiver, both in catches and receiving yardage. Uh, I understand if, if you were to lose somebody like that, it, it was like a situation would be all hope is lost, but I don't think the team is made better by having their, their senior receiver, who at that point in the season had been their most productive guy. I don't think that team is better because he's not there. And we're not into the time frame of game planning for Clemson, but if Bobo's out, I think that also heightens the need to make sure you utilize your tight ends more against the Tigers than maybe you have in the past. And and maybe Jimbo was holding back some stuff relative to Izzo and, and uh, Mar, uh, Saunders. Saunders. Uh, but I think they're going to be key uh, when you play Clemson in, in, in a week and a half. Oh, I agree, and I, I, I think you might be onto something with the uh, the holding back. I don't know that the, they use the whole playbook, and, and I think we all know that the Jimbo, and I'm sure Dabo as well, likes to, to keep some things close to the vest in advance of that game. But you know, Maven Saunders is a guy who's really, really interesting to me. Uh, I remember when he came in a couple of years ago as a freshman. I watched him run around in fall camp and thought, one, I didn't know who he, I didn't know exactly who he was at first. I, I knew Maven Saunders on the team, but I didn't know that that was, and so I saw him and I said, man, that guy. I mean, he looks like uh, he looks the uh, part, doesn't he? Oh my gosh, looks like an incredible athlete. If he ever puts it together, uh, he's going to be a, a really difficult guy to defend. And and you've seen him sort of emerge over the last few weeks. He had a quiet game against Wake Forest, but the play he made against Miami, if you remember, I think it was a third down, and he made a diving catch, sort of over over in the middle of the field, left side of the middle of the field, uh, just a leaping, diving, rolling kind of catch where he made he made the, the play, got the first down, and if I remember correctly, Florida State ended up getting a touchdown off of that drive. So uh, he's been a really big factor 
think Ryan Izzo is the same way. Uh, two guys who can get involved in the passing game and make some things happen. And so, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're Clemson, that's one aspect of Florida State's offense that you really haven't seen very much over the last few years. And if you're Jimbo Fisher, I think you'd probably like to keep that quiet as much as you can. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if those two guys, especially Maven, uh, had something to say against Clemson uh, in a couple weeks. How do, how do we fix these slow starts offensively? I don't know. I wish I did. I know that's not exactly what you bring me on for. I don't know. Usually isn't a really good answer, but I, I don't understand it. it. It baffles me. I have to think that the staff is somewhat puzzled by it because it's been an issue for long enough. And beyond just this season, it's been an issue for long enough that if, if there was an, an obvious answer or a, a clear solution, you have to think they'd have, have had it by now. Um, I don't get it. I don't, I don't think it's a lack of effort. I don't think it's a lack of intensity. It's just for some reason or another, it's taken them – sometimes a full half of football to really get into any kind of groove or rhythm. You could argue against Lake Forest if they never really got into a full rhythm at all. Uh, but I, I, I don't get it. I really don't. Um, it, it, it perplexes me. I don't, I don't know what the answer is, and I, I can't really think of a parallel uh, either you know, in football or, or in other sports to, to you know, what it is that they've been going through. But it is odd. Perplex is a good word for it. Let's switch to, yeah. the, hey, let's switch to the defensive side of the ball. You know, uh, Erman Lane continues to be an amazing story. And, uh, you know, another reason the defense has had some more success is Trey Marshall looks really comfortable in that star position. But I'm curious, has Jimbo talked much about the true freshmen that are now playing uh, pretty consistently and regularly as part of the dime package? I'm talking about Levante Taylor, who was injured earlier in the season, and also uh, Kyle Myers. Uh, a little bit. I think he's pretty happy with what those guys are, are, are doing so far. I think, you know, when you're, when you're young – the way Kyle and Levante are, I think a lot of times you can get by just sort of on, on basics and athleticism and, and sort of rushing to the ball. But the, the, the real focus, for at least from a media perspective over the last couple of weeks, obviously has been Ermin Lane. And, and you, know, you guys can speak to that maybe better than I can. I, I don't know. I, I can't remember a player switching positions mid-season from offense to defense and having the kind of impact uh, that, that he's having. Uh, Carlos Williams did it the other way. Uh, a few years ago, but even then you sort of felt like he was such a good athlete. You could just give him the ball and he can make some things happen for, for Ehrman to pick up the defense and, and be able to play and, and play well and tackle and everything else. Uh, I mean, and again, not to change the subject on you guys, but it, it, it really, it feels almost unprecedented to me. Well, no, he is, he is really the story. I was just trying to find another story, but there's no question. <laughs> I, and I can't, well, that's what everybody's been focusing on. Yeah. Well, and he was featured prominently in a season with last night on Showtime again. And uh, it's not just that he was featured, but I mean, he's, he's vocal, he's active. He looks like a guy that's completely he's come there. Yeah, he looks like a guy that's in his third year playing safety the way he leads that group, which that's almost as amazing as the fact that physically he figures out how to line up and has that part covered. Yeah, and, and you know, to bring it back to what you were saying a second ago with Trey Marshall, uh, you know, he does look better and more comfortable at that star position. I think that was what has been his best position throughout his career, and now having a guy like Ehrman who can reliably play that safety position now lets you move Trey Marshall into that, that star spot where he feels more comfortable. So I don't, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence and none of these things happen in a vacuum. And so, I mean, look, how many college football teams get a, a, a good, solid, serviceable safety in the middle of the season? Uh, it's, it's like getting a, a new recruit or something, you know, it's, it's, it's really weird and, and really cool. Um, and the impact of it is it, one, it's obvious for Ehrman, but it, it affects the entire secondary. And so far, at least it's been pretty positive. Now, He's going to be in for a much bigger test against Clemson than he has been against Wake Forest or Miami. There's no doubt about that. But after two games, I don't know how you could feel a whole lot better about what he's shown you. 
keeping with the safety position, the vibe I'm getting, at least through the the bye week, is uh, and, and though it may not be a good idea to bring him back against Clemson, uh, James may not be available for Clemson. Hey, Jimbo Fisher was pretty uh, pretty uh, tight lipped about that last week. Or excuse me, not last week, last night. Uh, so there's not not really any update there. Just that he continues to progress well. You know, when the injury happened, what do we, what do we say? It was going to be you know between a four and six week injury, something like that. So when you looked at the schedule um, and, and saw that that Clemson day, you say, well, that, that kind of falls in right around there. But it was never a guarantee. That it, it was sort of like the Clemson game is when you could start thinking about having Derwin James back as a realistic possibility. And I still think that it is a realistic possibility. But the fact is, it's it's Tuesday, uh, two weeks before the game, essentially. So a lot a lot has to happen, I think, between now and then as far as getting him right. They won't play him if he hasn't practiced, I wouldn't think. So he has to get on the practice field at least to some degree next week, and that'll be the thing you, if, if you're a fan reading, reading the tea leaves. Uh, don't get too excited about anything before he starts practicing again. Uh, that said, you know we still are, what, 10, 12 days out from the game. A lot can happen between now and then, so I wouldn't give up hope on having Derwin James available just yet. Hey, Tim, not to correct you, but it's Wednesday. Not is it really? Tuesday. Yeah, it's not oh, Tuesday. God. I know this because these, the front row weeks. can be heard every Wednesday at 6 right here. <laughs> these bye weeks have me all messed up, man. <laughs> it's all right. We'll uh, enjoy your time off on Friday. We'll catch up with you next week. All right, Tom, thanks. He's our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld, who joins us courtesy and via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Keith and I will uh, finish up, close up shop on the other side of this uh, radio TO. Stay with us. Thanks to Tim times two because uh, Tim Brando joined us. Tim Linnefelt, uh, good stuff. If you missed either of those, they are available in the audio vault. Also, I'll remind you, subscribe uh, to the front row via iTunes. If you do so, the uh, by mid-morning Sunday, you'll also catch our, our Wake Up Knoll show, which airs uh, 9 o'clock Sunday morning, also uh, 7 o'clock Sunday evening. As so you can either catch Knowles. it in the a.m. or you can catch it in the p.m. There you go. Keith, we've got about 60 seconds or so. No game this week. What are you going to do with your off weekend? Uh, I am headed to the beach. Are you really? I am. So it's sort of like the summer. You're just going to depart, go to the beach again? The beach is very nice this time of year. We got what? Alabama, Texas A&M this week? Mm-hmm. Ole Miss, LSU? There's some good games. Some good good games. games this week. Yeah, the wife and I were going to go to Baton Rouge originally, and uh, that didn't work out for one reason or another. So we'll be here, but we will be uh, enjoying that football game as I get to watch Ole Miss again. It will be nice not to have a 14- to 16-hour day on a Saturday. I concur. However, we will continue to have one-hour days on Wednesdays, at least as it relates to the front row. 53, 54 minutes, maybe. Something like that. All right, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Folks, enjoy the off week. We'll be talking FSU Clemson next week. See you then.